Okay, well, good morning everybody. It's really good to be here. Um, see a few faces I know. I see some that I sort of half know and it's, um, lots that I don't know, so it's really good. Um, I work for Creation Ministries only on, on a couple of weekends a month. I'm not a full-time employee of theirs. I work as a Bible translator from my home in Martin. And I've uh, been with Wycliffe Bible Translators for, I don't know, decades. Um, time goes fast, doesn't it? And um, you might not know, there's 7,000 languages in the world. Uh, only one out of 100 has a Bible in their own language, a full Bible. And the group that uh, I work with in the Philippines, a little bit south of, I saw you had the Birkins picture up on the wall out there, a little bit south of where they work. Um, the group that, that my wife and family uh, work with there, um, where we work, they've just finished the Bible in their own language. So in the 10 years we've been home from the Philippines, after 20 years there, they've finished the Old Testament in their own language. So really, really exciting to see that. So just to tell you a little bit about my background, I'm not a scientist, and I'm not going to talk a lot about science today. I'm going to talk more about the Bible, which um, is sort of my area more. But I had a job in Martin. I went to Martin to make electronic petrol pumps because uh, I was an engineer. I love creating things. Being made in the image of the creator, many of us are creators, aren't we? Many, you know, some people get, get a bit of canvas and splodge bits of oil on and, and make something beautiful. Others sit down at a sewing machine and get some scraps or some new material and, and make something beautiful. Others are engineers, various kinds of engineers, all sorts of ways that we create. Am I right? Lots of creators in this room, I'm, I'm betting. I love my job so much so I would have done it, I said, uh, even if they didn't pay me. It never got tested, but yeah. <laughs> but anyway, after a few years, God said to Margaret and I, my wife said, uh, it's time to head overseas. He'd already spoken to us as singles, and we went overseas to learn a language um, the name of the language nobody's ever heard of in the southern Philippines, small group, small tribal group, and teach them how to translate the Bible into their own language. So why did I do that? Why did I leave a job I loved to go to the middle of nowhere to work with some people um, with no, no prestige, no, no nothing? Because I believe that the Bible is God's word. This is not just an ordinary book. You know, you, you spoke a lot, and, and rightly so, and we sang a lot about the beauty of God's creation, but often we take this for granted. This book has been preserved for thousands of years. The Old Testament's, uh, or Jesus was on the earth a couple of thousand years ago, so the New Testament's a couple of thousand years old. The Old Testament's much older than that. There's been many attempts to eradicate this book, haven't they? And uh, it's still given to us, still available to us. And in this country, we can freely buy it, we can freely read it, we can freely preach from it. Um, it's something we take for granted. However, in creation ministries, you would expect that we would be a ministry that would speak against evolution and, and against the idea that we just, just happened to be here by a series of random accidents, random mutations and natural selection over millions of years. And indeed, we do have materials speaking against that worldview, um, that, that we are just another kind of animal with a bigger brain, bigger head, bigger brain. Sadly, though, in Creation Ministries, we also have to speak on another point, and that is, do we trust the creation account in the Bible? Because I'm not sure how much you're aware of it in this particular group, but um, there's many Christians are starting to say, 
Uh, can we really trust that God made everything in six days? Do we really believe that? Amen. And now Christians are starting to say, maybe the Bible contains God's word. Whereas earlier I said, this book is God's word. Can you see the difference? If it contains God's word, we can choose which bits. And we're going to address some of that this morning as we go through. What does the Bible say about creation? So, no, we're not doing well here. Try again. You might have to help me there, Daniel. It's not clicking. Okay. Um, what I wanted to show you, uh, while we get the right slides and things there, uh, unlike um, Pastor, I wasn't, didn't have the privilege of having Creation Magazine and these sort of materials in, in the home when I was a young person and as a teenager. I grew up going to church where I was taught in church that God probably created us using evolution. Okay? that God probably took some ancient ape, put a soul in him and called him Adam, that God probably created this, our planet, this world, uh, the universe, by, by the Big Bang. And that's what I was taught in church. Could he have done that? Could God have used evolution? Of course he could have. Could he have used the Big Bang? Of course he could have. The question is, did he? And we'll talk more about that. But it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I was given a copy of Creation Magazine. How many people are familiar with the magazine? Quite a few of you, yeah, I, I guess you would be in, in this group. It's not going to work, is it? <coughs> we'll have to... Anyway, I was, in my <laughs> I was in my 30s and I was given this magazine. I took it home and I read it that night and I went back to the man who gave it to me the next day and I said, I've never heard all of this stuff. I was taught such rubbish in church. I can see the reasons why that it doesn't make sense. The Big Bang doesn't fit into the Bible. Darwinian evolution doesn't fit into the Bible. Thank you, we're getting there. And uh, this magazine changed my life in my 30s. I went back to university later on to study some of these things, did a bit of earth science, did a bit more biology so I could learn a bit more about these things and listen to what the professors were saying and, and had a good time um, interacting with the professors at that point. Okay, now we're still not going, so we're going to have to go on next. Please, uh, Daniel, we're going to have to do that. Creation.com, now... Um, this is a big topic, covers geology, covers uh, cosmology, covers biology, covers a lot of areas. And I was only given two hours to speak this morning, and then I was told the lunch will get cold. So, no, um, I have some tables out in the lunch room. I hope, hope you will stay for lunch. And, and come and look at the book tables out there. And this talk is only really an entree as far as creation goes. I can only give you sort of touch on this and that, and, and uh, I'm doing a one-hour talk um, this morning. Um, but the, the main course for this is out on the tables out there. You'll see our materials available. We have books, we have DVDs, we have magazines, etc. Um, so just a reminder that the, the materials are out there so that you can take what I can give you this morning and then build on that, learn more yourselves. Um, so those materials are there. But I did want to put the slide at the beginning to remind you that creation.com is our website. Not hard to remember, creation.com. And we have over 8,000 articles there written by our PhD scientists. So if you want to look up something that I won't be covering today, let's see if the laser at least works, yeah. Go up to that search box there and type in carbon dating or radiometric dating or, or something like that. 
and uh, you can get answers up there on creation.com for free and available to everybody. So please don't forget that resource, not just today, but through the months ahead. If you want to know anything about Genesis, the Bible, creation, evolution, go to creation.com, put your question in the answer box and, and narrow down the search topic. Okay, next. So our talk this morning, is Genesis actually history? In other words, was Adam a real person? Many ministers that will be speaking in their churches right now, this morning across New Zealand, many ministers do not believe that Adam was a real person. Adam and Eve, they will say, will be teaching their congregations, were symbolic people and that they weren't actual people. Next. So first, let's look at why it's important. I'm sure a, a group like this is interested in evangelism. We want to get out and tell people that Jesus loves them, do we not? We've still got some empty seats, don't we? Still got it. We can still fit a few more in. So we need to be out. Jesus didn't just die for us. He died for all to come, um, that the world may be saved. And we want to get out and share the message. But you see that young fellow with his arms folded there? His arms are folded not because he's ignorant, not because he's so against the Bible. He's actually read the Bible, this particular young fellow, and he wasn't convinced by the scriptures. You see, he read that Adam and Eve had some children. Cain, Abel, Seth. Oh, those are all boys' names, aren't they? And then he read that Cain killed Abel, and then he read that Cain got married. And he went to the pastor, he said, who did Cain marry? And the pastor of his church said to him, said, don't ask questions like that, just have faith. And so his question was never answered. And then he'd heard at school um, about and university about dinosaurs going extinct 65 million years ago. And he went and asked the pastor, well, how did dinosaurs fit into the Bible? And the pastor said, could you stop asking annoying questions? And his, his questions never got answered. And did you know that, uh, I'll say it clearly from the beginning, we don't have answers to all of our questions. There are many questions that we don't have answers to. I worked in a school in Martin where I worked as a voluntary chaplain, a nine-year-old boy that got an a, uh, aggressive cancer and eventually died of it. And, and you have a lot of questions when things like that happen, and we don't know all the answers. God, why did you choose this boy? God, why do you allow these things? God... You know, we know that that sickness has come into the world as a result of sin, but there's still a lot of questions that we do have. However, many of these questions do have good, sensible answers to them. And we should learn them so that then we can remove something. If somebody's walking down a path and something's in the way, it's a stumbling block. And if we can remove that stumbling block so they can advance further by, down the path by, advance, by answering some of their questions, then we can help people come closer to the Lord and eventually learn the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Next. So, let me just test you out. If we were doing a street um, evangelism Let's go up, up in uh, Victoria Ave. We're out there on a Friday night. We're doing street evangelism and a young person comes up to you and asks, the Bible's nonsense, who did Cain marry? Did he marry his mother? The young person says, put up your hand if you think you'd have a good reasonable explanation as to who Cain must have married. I can see one, two, oh, I can see half a dozen hands. Okay, all the rest of you are going to line up at the table and buy this book later. Um, $19 to find out. No, seriously, these are serious questions. This is the, the uh, Creation Answers book. It's our best-selling book. It has um, answers to the, the 60 most commonly asked questions. And believe it or not, who Cain married is the most commonly asked question that unbelievers ask. 
because the Bible doesn't make sense if we can't answer some of these questions. Dinosaurs fitting into the Bible. Where'd the water come from from the flood? Where'd the water go after the flood? All these sorts of questions people ask. What about carbon dating? It's all in here. So I would encourage you to equip yourself, not to be a big head and a know-it-all, but to be able to help to answer other people's questions next. Now the problem we have in our churches, or one of the problems, is that we send all our children out to Sunday school and they'll be learning some of the great stories of the Bible, I'm sure. So Noah and the Ark and David and Goliath and, and all those stories they tend to learn. But that's for half an hour or an hour a week, isn't it, Sunday school? And then typically our children spend five days a week in a public school and they'll be exposed to evolutionary thinking. And for those of us that are my sort of age, there's a lot more of it in the schools now than um, there was in t our time. The famous uh, atheistic scientist Richard Dawkins in, in the UK, he said to me, looking at children, and I was looking at that young girl here just dancing and, and so so uninterested in what every, anyone else thinks, just dancing before the Lord. And Richard Dawkins noticed, he said, young children just naturally seem to believe that there is a creator. And then he said, we've got to teach them at younger ages and say, no, that's just an illusion. It just seems like everything was created, but actually it's a, whole, it's a big accident and you're really nothing and you'll just turn to compost when you die. And he's so interested in, in pro propounding that message and you think, why? Why does it even matter? I mean, if you're just going to turn to compost, it doesn't believe, matter whether you believe in God or not. But anyway, that's their lifestyle. So what happens, if we go to the next slide, is that Christians often end up taking away from the scriptures and not being sure God really make everything or is science higher than the Bible. If we have science in the Bible, should we accept science? So you're familiar with these verses, I'm sure. So let's look at what the Bible does say. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. Let me just stop there. The Big Bang. You know a little bit about the Big Bang? Atoms. Atoms are matter. All the matter in the universe was compressed into some... Well, we don't know why or how it got there, but all the matter in the universe was compressed into a tiny dot, smaller than a full stop on a page. And then the Big Bang, this, this compressed mass, the singularity, explode. it wasn't really an explosion, it expanded and space expanded and space had mostly hydrogen in it and some helium, hydrogen, helium are gases. Now I'm standing on something more solid than a gas, so in the Big Bang there was nothing to stand on, there was just space and gas and heat. And then they say over hundreds of millions of years, some of those clouds of hydrogen got bigger and bigger and more hydrogen joined on the cloud. It got bigger and bigger. So the cloud of hydrogen got so big that gravity pulled it inwards and the hydrogen imploded and formed a burning hot star. The burning hot star burn, I'm walking across here, this is taking hundreds of millions of years. So that was 14 billion years ago. Hundreds of millions of years, these stars burn, nuclear reaction. And inside the stars, after hydrogen and helium, Hydrogen, helium, lithium, beryllium, boron, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, all the things that we're made of were made in the stars. That's why atheists like to say we're made of stardust. And then the stars eventually exploded. That's what we call a supernova. And when the stars exploded, now we have heavier elements in, in space. And we have dust and dirt and rock. And then clouds of dust and dirt and rocks stuck together in space. And this cloud got bigger and bigger. More rocks would come and attach, you know, like the, the pool table. 
You know how you hit the white ball into all those balls and it just attaches to the group? No, it bounces off. Oh, don't worry about Sorry. Don't worry about that. Somehow all the rocks in space attached and, and got this big, massive rock and then that imploded once gravity becomes such a significant force that formed a burning hot planet. The burning hot planet took about a billion years to cool down and we're quite a long way through the 14 billion years and then as the Earth cooled down then Darwin imagined a warm little pond, maybe a bit of lightning, some chemicals washed out of the rocks and the first cell formed and then evolution went on from there. Now, I was taught at church that God probably created using the Big Bang. So people were saying the Big Bang can fit into the Bible. But now I know it can't, and I want to ask you, looking at the verses up there, the beginning of Genesis, can you tell me when God created the earth, was it a red-hot planet formed by an implosion? What tells you it was never red-hot? It's got liquid water on it. And you talked about putting telescopes up to look for um, space and other planets because we know that life is, a cell is too complex to evolve in a puddle on the earth where suspect maybe it evolved somewhere else. But we also put telescopes up to try to find other planets that might be like our Earth. Our Earth was never really red hot because it has liquid water on it. You can't have liquid water on something red hot. And so we spend billions of dollars looking for other planets now and a new word has entered science that never used to be in science before. A word you wouldn't expect to find in science and that's the word Goldilocks. Did you know the word Goldilocks is in science these days? Because you see, our planet orbits the sun and we have liquid water, liquid oceans and rivers and, and water in our taps. If the earth was a bit closer to the sun, the oceans would boil and we'd all be dead. If our planet was a little further from the sun, the oceans would freeze and we would be dead. So you get it, we're not too close, not too hot, not too cold, just right, we're in the Goldilocks zone. <laughs> yeah. And you look in the papers, you'll, you'll notice it now, you'll notice it. And they'll say, oh, we found some more planets in the Goldilocks zone where they might have liquid water, where life might have evolved. And they're searching, spending literally billions and billions of dollars trying to find where life could have evolved because they refuse to believe Genesis. So no, the Big Bang doesn't fit into the Bible. I was taught a lie at church. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water and God said, let there be light. And he spoke it into being by the power of his word. And then we learn in John 1.1 that the word is, is more than just what we think of as words, but the word is Jesus Christ. Next, please. The Bible goes on to talk about, or Genesis 1, talks about the, the next six days, or the, the next five days of creation. So on day two, God separates the waters above from the waters below. On day three, remember that the earth is all covered with water, but there's land under the water. So on day three, he moves the land. Um, the, the dry land appears, rises out of the water. The water drains into the ocean basins, and then he puts all the plants and things, apple trees, and you know, if you had wheat bigs, wheat bigs, uh, wheat is a grass, uh, all the things that he made for us to eat and enjoy um, in our lives. And, and part of um, modern cooking, isn't it, is finding the right combination of tastes of those herbs that just make a dish just right. And God created all those for us on that third day. On the fourth day, God makes the sun, moon and stars. Let's go back to this Big Bang story. 
Here we have nothing, where well, we have a singularity or the matter in a dot. Here we have stars being formed, and then the stars burn for hundreds of millions of years, and it came later. In the biblical account, the earth is made on day one, and the sun, moon, and stars come later. In the Big Bang account, the stars have to be first, and the planets have to come after the stars. Are you with me there? So another reason the Big Bang does not fit into the Bible. God did not use the Big Bang. It turns out that the Big Bang is a whole lot of math mathematical formulas on uh, scientists' computers and um, is not really viable anyway. Day five, God makes the swimming creatures and the flying creatures. On day six, he makes the land animals. He's a land animal, isn't he? When was he made? On day six. When did he go extinct? 65 million years ago. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And then later in the day, he looks around for a good-looking ape and says, I'm going to put a soul in you and call you Adam. No? That's what some Christians believe. What do, what do the atheists believe? They believe that there's this group of apes and they figured out that if they, if they said, huh, huh, instead of come here or something, that it was more efficient in calories and so they could save some calories by grunting and then eventually learning to talk a little bit more. And then they discovered fire. You know, I've got sheep out my back window, and if I look at sheep, they spend the whole day eating grass. No, they sit down for a little bit. They spend most of the day eating. But we only have to spend a, a bit of our time eating breakfast and lunch and dinner. And so why we spend less time eating is that we have learned to cook our food, and we can ingest, by ingesting cooked food, we can ingest a lot more vitamins and minerals in a short time. We don't have to spend our whole day grazing. Maybe some do, but we don't have to spend our whole day grazing. So you see, these ancient apes, they discovered fire and started taking cooked food, and it made their brains, their heads expand, and their brains got bigger. I tried it, and the only thing that got bigger it wasn't my brain, but... Um, <laughs> Apparently that's what happened in the past. You know, people believe this stuff. And then, no, that's not what it is. You're not an ape. You're either a man or a woman made in God's image. And there's a lot of confusion about this man and woman thing, but the Bible tells us that God made a man out of the soil. It tells us what he was made from. Well, he's made from soil. He wasn't made from any animal. Well, it's kind of interesting, anyone who likes meat, there's probably a few in this room. Did you know that the Atheists or the evolutionists, when they eat meat, they believe they're eating their relatives. They don't think about it a lot. But, you know, if we're related to the animals and you eat that, that beef, that cow is a distant cousin. Did you know that? And even the vegan eating the carrot sticks and the lettuce leaves, they are also distant, distant cousins of the evolutionist. No, God made us from the soil separately from the animals. We can eat the lettuces with a clear conscience. We can even eat meat with a clear conscience. We're not eating our relatives. I love to ask evolutionists, I say, how do you decide which relatives you eat and which ones you don't? And they look at me and think I'm crazy, but actually, by their worldview, that's what they believe. Don't they not? Yeah, they do. So, God made man and then the woman from the rib of the man. The first woman came from a man, so men must be superior. No, ever since, ever since then, every man has come from a, a woman, and so we all even out in the end. Next, please. I taught my kids to ask questions, and unlike my example about who did Cain marry before when the pastor said just have faith, Margaret and I looked at it and thought, we want our kids to question things. We want our kids to believe the Bible because they believe it makes sense. 
and believe it's true, not just believe it because we said you must believe it. And all young people, all of our kids as they become teenagers, they've got to work, work out what they believe for themselves. So we taught our kids to ask questions. Now there is a good question that, that Christians can ask about this Genesis 1 account. It says God made everything in six days, but the good question is how long is a day? Oh, now let me think. In my father's day, actually more in my grandfather's day, but when my father was young even, but let's say in my grandfather's day, out the paddocks pulling the plough with horses. Okay, my dad remembers it as well. In my grandfather's day, they used horses to plough the paddocks. In my grandfather's day, am I talking about Monday or Tuesday? In my grandfather's day. I'm talking about a, lo a long period of time, aren't I? So the word day in English can indeed mean a long period of time. So when God made everything in six days, oh yes, and I remember something about a day is like a thousand years, if we only take half the verse. Of course, the second half of the verse says the opposite. But if we just take the first half of the verse, a day is like a thousand years, or maybe that was like six thousand years, or let's stretch it a bit, maybe it's like six billion years, or maybe we can fit in the Big Bang after all. No, the order's wrong and all sorts of things. But no, this is how the thinking goes, even in Christian circles. And I, I'm sad to say, but I will say this, is that churches like this, perhaps you do it here, churches around New Zealand tend to look, at, look around for a, a young couple often that are serious about following the Lord and serving the Lord and they think we need to send them somewhere where they'll get more Bible training and we send them to our Bible colleges. You know I came this close to losing my, I don't want to diss all Bible colleges but I come to this close to losing my faith at Bible college where they taught me that Isaiah was written by three different people at three different times and and I thought I believed the Bible was God's word and you're teaching me that it was actually a literary fraud. But anyway, we send our people to Bible colleges and often they, at Bible colleges they, they tend to be much more academic and they buy into all these theories and have these academic type people. I wrote to the Bible college that I went to and, and they wrote back and told me, they said none of our current lecturers, this is a decade ago now, but they said none of our current lecturers believe that God made everything in six actual days. Do you know that? A... a Large Bible college in New Zealand said none of our current lecturers believe that God made everything in six days. Six ordinary days. So yeah, this is what happens. So how long is a day? Could it be a long period of time? Well, it turns out that most of the Bible was written by people under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But it turns out that a little bit of the Bible was not written by people under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Some pastors knees start to shake when I start talking about this because they wonder where I'm going. But it should be clear because it's up on the screen behind me that if you look carefully in your Bible, you will find out that when Moses went up on Mount Sinai that God inscribed, he's probably right-handed, was he? I'm um, left-handed, so I naturally raised my left hand. That God inscribed those Ten Commandments on the tablets with his own finger, the Bible says. In other words, the Ten Commandments were written in God's own handwriting. And part of the fourth commandment, translated into English for us, says, remember the Sabbath day, have a day of rest, work for six days each week, and then have one day of rest. And then it goes on to say, four and six days, what six days is it talking about? It's just been talking about the six days that make up the working week. Four and six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. 
Everything in the heavens, everything in the earth, everything in the sea, God made all of those things. Exodus says in God's own handwriting, he made all of those things in the same six days that he expects us to work every week. Did you know that? So if you weren't sure from Genesis chapter 1 how long a day is, go and read Exodus 20 and you'll see clearly that God made everything in six days, the days that make up our week. And by the way, I'll just sneak in something really, really quick here. Because um, this is interesting. This is um, next year's calendar. We have them for sale on the book table. Go and have a look at them. But this is a 2021 calendar. We get a new calendar every year because, as I already said, our planet orbits the sun once every 365 and a quarter days, more or less, and that's why we have years in our calendar. We have months in our calendar. You're familiar with the 12 months because the moon orbits the Earth uh, roughly every 29 and a half days. We have days and dates in our calendar because our, our globe is spinning and as this appears the sun is rising as we turn around and face the sun. But every calendar in New Zealand, including those of atheists and non-Christians and anti-Christians, has these rows of seven going across. Have you ever thought about that? Why does it have these things called weeks in the calendar? What happens in the universe every week? What's, what spins, what orbits, what turns once every seven days? Nothing. There's only one reason that weeks are in our calendar. It's because of that up there. Because God said, work for six days. He set a pattern for us and rested for one. And that's why we have weeks in our calendar. You can use, week, you can use calendars for evangelism. First thing is ask, ask people, why has it got 2021 on the front? And it's because that Jesus was here about, 20, uh, about 2,000 years ago. That's why it has it. And you ask people, why does it have weeks in the calendar? So interesting that a lot of people haven't thought of that. So God made everything in six days, the same six days that make up our week. You with me there? Is that what the Bible says? Absolutely it is. Next, please. Then Next again. So where do we get that from? What? I sneaked something in there. You can see I've sneaked in 6,000 years. Okay, we've talk, talked about the six days. Where did the 6,000 years come from? It turns out there isn't a verse. We can't get that quite so easily. We've got to do a bit of arithmetic. So let's go to the next slide, please, and look at some of the arithmetic. You know what a family tree is? If you've ever tried to draw one, you've got a piece of paper and you put mum and dad and the, the, the grandparents and then you put the kids and then you put the grandkids and then you need a toilet paper, you know, you need it. Go like that. There's a funny genealogy, quite an odd genealogy in Genesis chapter 5 because it doesn't list all the children. For each family, it only lists one son. So when Adam was 130, it lists his son Seth. But it tells us, gives us an extra piece of information, it tells us that Adam was 130 when Seth was born. And when Seth was 105, Enosh was born. And when Enosh was 90, Kenan was born. Next. So putting those figures into a chart, let's see, I'm not sure how well you can see that. So we've got year zero down here in the bottom left, and here's Adam's green bar representing his life of 930 years. When he was 130, we just read, Seth's bar begins. And when he was 105, Enosh's bar begins. And so plotting all those genealogies there, we come down to 2,000 years after creation, we have Abraham here. More or less, we're just going to say more or less 2,000 years. I put added a red line. This, this 
was produced by a spreadsheet program by Microsoft Excel. Added a red line here for Noah's flood. You see um, Noah's dad Lamech, if he crossed that red line, the Bible wouldn't make sense. Did you know that? And if Methuselah, his grandfather, crossed the red line, the Bible wouldn't make sense. Because the Bible tells us how many people were on the ark? Only eight, Noah and his wife and three sons and their wives. So if dad or granddad lived beyond that red line, beyond the flood, the Bible wouldn't make sense. But it does make sense. The only two people on this chart that crossed the red line are two of the, two of the eight that were on the ark, Noah and Shem. You with me there? The Bible makes sense. Everywhere we look at it, it makes sense. Let me show you something interesting. You've probably heard it said that this is a really old book and already talked they say, um, Moses over here wrote a bit, and Isaiah and Jeremiah and all these people added a bit more, and then it got lost, and then it got found, and then we had the New Testament, and then the Roman Catholics corrupted it and all that, and they say, how can you believe it today? But I just want to show you something about these early years. If we go up one from Noah, up here to Lamech. Lamech here is Noah's dad. When Noah's dad was a young fellow, his father was still alive, and his grandfather and his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfathers were all still alive. In fact, great-great-great-great-great-great-granddad Adam didn't die until Lamech was about 56, 57, something like that. Now, how many of you older people enjoy telling stories to your grandkids or maybe even some of you to great-grandkids? How many of you enjoy listening to stories from your grandparents, what it was like back in their day ploughing paddocks with horses, not having tractors. Imagine talking to great-great-great-great-great-great-granddad and say, what was it like in the Garden of Eden? I want to hear it from you. I don't just want to hear Dad's account of it. I want to hear it from you, great-great-great-great-great. Isn't it amazing? When you live to be 930, you don't just tell stories to the grandkids, you tell them for many, many generations you can pass them on. And even over this side, it carries on for a little while as well. So next, please. So taking the this is what we're really interested in, is Adam here to Abraham there. So we got their passport photos and put them on here. We archaeologists found all those. And uh, now what we're interested here, Adam to Abraham from the last slide was 2,000 years. From Abraham to King David turns out to be roughly another 1,000 years. After Abraham, we don't have it precisely to the year. But um, looking at history and things, it's roughly another thousand years. And then we have two lines. There's a genealogy in Matthew and there's one in Luke chapter 3. And there's two lines, another thousand years through to the birth of Christ. You with me there? So this is easy maths. Okay, 2,000 plus 1 makes 3 plus 1 more makes 4,000 years up on that screen. 4,000 years, and we already talked about 2,000 years on the calendar. These 2,000 years go here, don't they? Since Christ, A.D., um, so 4,000 years there, 2,000 years on the calendar. How long ago does the Bible teach us that Adam must have lived? About 6,000 years, more or less. You can't slip, oh, maybe there's a million years missing between Enoch and Methuselah. No, you can't slip in millions or, or years. You can, some people say, oh, maybe there's a couple missing. Well, you need an awful lot missing to make a substantial difference. must have lived about 6,000 years ago. So when was the earth created? Oh, I remember. Adam and later Eve were made on day six. The heavens and the earth were made on day one. So if Adam must have lived about 6,000 years ago, the earth must be about 6,000 years and six days old, more or less. You with me there? 
Creation Ministries claims that the Bible teaches that the earth is around about 6,000 years old. You with me there? And this, I've shown you why we believe that. So, could God have used the Big Bang? Could he have used 14 billion years? He could have, but did he? No, he tells us in his word that he made everything in six days and he gives us the clues, many of the clues that we need, especially for that top line, to know how long ago that was, 6,000 years ago. Next, please. <clears throat> if we go to and ask the rabbis, just recently, I think in October, um, they clicked over into year 5781, and we think they're a little bit wrong, but we're not going to quibble about that too much. Next, please. This is the one we quibble with. The atheists teach our children in schools and at university that God created our planet, our solar system, about four and a half billion years ago, and the universe about 13.7 billion years ago. We've got to disagree with that. There's too many zeros, isn't there? If that's right, the Bible must be wrong. And if the Bible's right, that must be wrong. Next, please. Now, as well as the materials on the table out there, we do have a free offer um, to give you. If this is taking your interest, you're welcome to subscribe to a free newsletter. Next, please. So we have an email newsletter we send out to interested peoples, and I've got some folders I'm going to pass around. If you're interested in getting an email to your inbox, I think it's every week or every two weeks it comes out, and you can get latest information, a new dinosaur that's been found, new evidence about the age of the Earth, new planets discovered and why they're not like our Earth, all this kind of stuff, you're welcome to subscribe to a free email newsletter. So next, please, as long as you can write your uh, email address so that we can read it and type it in, you're welcome to subscribe. So I've got three of these, um, if you don't mind passing them along and back. And uh, you're welcome to subscribe to a free email newsletter while we go on. If at any point you get it and you think, oh, I'm not really interested in this after all, of course, um, by law, you can easily unsubscribe. Dex, please. I was taught in church that God perhaps used the Big Bang and used evolution to create us. But I didn't know the theological problem. I've talked about some of the biblical problems, but there was a, a theological issue that I, was n I never understood at church, that I believed wrongly. Artist drawing, because we've got no pictures, of Adam and Eve in the garden before they sinned. Okay, so they're not wearing clothes. God comes down every evening and talks with them in the garden. And the question to ask here is kind of a funny question. The question to ask is, What's under their feet? What's under their feet in the garden? And you think, well, that's a funny question. But you see, when we have Christians even starting to believe that those elephants were made using by a process of evolution and, and the people maybe were made from some kind of ancient ape, how does evolution work? Evolution works by things living and having offspring. Offspring are always different, aren't they? Our children don't look like clones of us, we can see they're from us, but they're different. And then we die and another generation comes along and they have children that are different. So things change over the generation. So how does evolution work? By things living, giving birth, with changes, dying. Living, giving birth, with changes, and dying. Evolution works by a process that involves things dying. Oh, so next slide please. 
So if God created them in the garden by a process of evolution, under their feet would be the bones of all the millions of years of animals who lived and died in order that these ones in the garden could have evolved. you see me there? But my Bible doesn't teach that. Next, please. My Bible teaches that death came into the world as a result of sin. And in this picture, I said it's before they have sinned. So there can be no death in this picture. Are you with me there? They cannot have been created by the process of evolution because evolution involves millions of years of death and change and living together. And no, death came into the world as a result of sin. My Bible tells me next, please. Next again. In the evolutionary thinking, death is part of the process by which things improve over millions of years. Next. But in the Christian worldview, death is part of the curse. came as a result of sin. I learned something a few years ago. I learned something. I had a friend, Wanganui, and um, got a, a cancer. He was in his 80s. He got a cancer. And I'd just been dealing with this nine-year-old boy that had died and of cancer. And I said to Margaret, when I heard my friend had cancer, my elderly friend, I said, well, at least he's an old man. He's lived a good life. And she said, yes, but he's still somebody's grandfather and still somebody's father and somebody's brother and somebody's uncle. You know, even when you've lived a good life and when we lose our grandparents, we still feel cheated, don't we? We feel, still feel like it doesn't feel right, does it? Something's been taken away. We know it's going to happen because death is a usurper. It's an invader. And death is something that Paul said will be abolished and we can live, as Cole said, we can live and, and look forward to life with God because death is overcome by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Next, please. So death in the creation, or in the biblical worldview, is part of the curse. Next. Okay, what about science? All those zeros up there. I mean, scientists, they must be right, mustn't they? Next, please. Turns out there's two kinds of science. There's um, experimental science. Anybody in the front row's got a cell phone? You got a cell phone in your pocket? Nobody has. Oh, here's one. Look at this. Experimental science. Okay, here's a cell phone. Let's do an experiment. Let's do it. Let's test gravity. How would we test gravity <laughs> using a phone? Okay, I could release this phone, and it would either go up and hit the light, or it might go out, out the door, or it probably going to hit the floor, isn't it? Because we know about gravity. So we can test it. Shall I do it? Nah, better not. He's, he's smiling, but we better not. Thank you. So the good thing about this is a lot of you have phones in your pockets or your handbags or whatever, and you don't have to watch my experiment. <laughs> you can do it with your own phone and test it yourself. Okay, that's experimental science. Experimental science is where some scientist can do an experiment, he writes it up in a journal, sends a journal and it goes to Japan and they do it over there and it goes to Russia and they do it over there and it's repeatable experiments. Okay, that is what we know as modern science. But there's another kind of science and even many scientists are not aware of this because it comes under the area of philosophy of science rather than science itself. And that is historical science. If detectives use it, it's called forensic science. When we talk about it in this sort of topic, it's called origin science. And it's, it's not repeatable. So can we make the earth again and see how long it takes? Does it take millions of years to make an earth? Let's make 
one. No, we don't have a laboratory where we can do that. Have we seen another Earth forming just like our one and we can see how long it takes? No, we can't. But even if we could, that still wouldn't tell us how long ours took. It might or might not have taken the same amount of time. So when we say the age of the Earth is so many billions of years, it's not like we can do an experiment and work out the age of the Earth. All we can do is like a detective. Next slide. Oh no, go back to that one. If a detective is trying to solve a case, let's say it's a murder. Sadly, these seem to happen more often these days. When the detective goes to solve the murder, he can't get the person and stand them up again and shoot them and do an experiment to see if that's how they died, can he? Because they're already dead. Um, so maybe he could try shooting somebody else and see how... No, that still wouldn't work because still wouldn't tell us how that person died. So what does a detective do when he's trying to work out what happened in this event? This person might have had a heart attack. So they'll probably, um, well, they'll certainly do an autopsy on the heart of this dead person. Did they have some fault? Did they have poison in their bloodstream, drugs, something like that? Did they have bruises on their body, a hole through their heart? You know, we look at all these things and he goes to the judge or to the coroner and the detective says all these clues lead us to believe that this is how, this is probably what happened to this person. Can he know for certain? No, the Russians came up with a new kind of poison when they um, poisoned somebody in, in England. Maybe somebody invented a new kind of poison. We can't test it. We can never be certain that the detective's right uh, when they're looking. All we can do is get the clues and see where they go towards. It's the same with the age of the Earth. We can get the clues. We can't recreate it. It's not experimental science. It's more like detective work. All we can do is get the clues. But... What if the scientist decided in advance and said there is no God? What if the science, when he grew up, mum and dad taught him that there's no God, and he grew up, went to university, and had already decided there is no God? When he was studying the age of the earth, did he look for any evidence of God's work creating the earth? No, he didn't, because he made up his mind. What if the detective, looking at this, said, I'm not going to have an autopsy done on this person. I'm sure this person was murdered. No point looking at her heart to see if she had a heart attack. Is that a good detective or a bad detective? Bad detective. You should get the clues and see where they point. What if a scientist has decided in advance that God is excluded from science? Do they do this? Yes, they do. They exclude God from science. They decide in advance there is no God, and therefore they don't look for any clues. Let me take young, this man here. Would you mind just coming and standing here for a minute? It's not too embarrassing. It's not too bad. <clears throat> just a little bit embarrassing Face, face them. Okay, this is Adam. I'm God, just for a few minutes. This is Adam. I just made him five minutes ago. Okay, now the real Adam wouldn't be wearing clothes, but we're very grateful that you are. Okay. Now, I just made Adam five minutes ago. Has anybody in this room held a five-minute-old baby? Every mother has. Right. Does he look like he's a five-minute-old baby? No. How old is it? Well, let's not guess, but um, he looks like a, a young adult man. Is that correct? Thank you. You can sit down. So when God created Adam five minutes ago, he didn't look like a five-minute-year-old baby. He stood. He was standing. He could talk. Okay. <laughs> However, if I took some of Adam's DNA and took it to the lab and said, can you check the, la the this DNA? Uh, and they would say, 
what sort of person did this DNA come from? It looks like this person has never been out in the sun. There's absolutely zero sun damage, cosmic ray damage in this person's DNA. It looks like they're only five minutes old and never been outside in their life. And, and so can you see if you tested the DNA, it might look like they're very young. But actually if you looked at him, it looks like he's a, you know, Adam might have looked like he was 25 or something. Let's do the same with a tree. God created a tree. We're on day six. We just made Adam. The trees were made on day four, two days ago. So we go up to this tree. It's two days old. and looks like this. Is that what you imagine? doesn't say God made the seeds and we waited for hundreds of years for the trees to come, does it? It says God made the tree. So you go up to this tree and looking at it, you, you and I would think this tree is 50 or 100 years old, would we not? If we cut it down and look, might, might find that it doesn't actually have any rings in it. It's like it's never been in any seasons before. Of course not, because it's only two days old. Can you see what I mean? So when you go to the age of the earth, there's a lot of confusing things. Some things will make it seem like it's old, because God created it complete, created the soil. One of my friends said, of course God took millions of years, because it takes millions of years to make all the soil. You know, you've got to wait for all the leaves to rot. And everything. I thought, if God can make the earth, surely he can make soil just as easily. You know, if he can make the sun and the moon and the stars, surely he can make soil. But anyway, that's what my friend was taught at, at um, Bible College, that it must have taken millions of years to make all the soil, to wait for it to all compost and stuff. No, so if you look at it, you'll get some clues that it looks old and some clues that it looks young. So can you see why scientists can give such different figures? If they've closed their mind and said there is no God, they don't look for any of the clues that shows the world is young. They don't look for any of the clues that show that we are designed. They try to ignore those. They say oh, it's just an appearance of design. Next, please. This is the sort of information that was in um, Creation Magazine. And if you could just step through these next ones, if it doesn't do it automatically... Um, Creation Magazine has a lot of this information and when I read it, all the stuff I'd been taught in church, I realised, man, why was I taught such research? quite embarrassed about it now. So for those who haven't um, already had Creation Magazine or those who have and would like to resubscribe, we do have three more folders I'm going to pass around as I finish off. If you subscribe to Creation Magazine today, next please, um, you can choose for one year for 35 or three years for 38 and tear off this coupon, bring it to me. If you subscribe to one year, you get a free back issue. It's a free gift if you pay today. And if you subscribe for three years, you get um, two DVDs as well as the free back issue. So we highly recommend Creation Magazine for families. How many people, we already heard a testimony, but how, how many people have seen their children changed by reading Creation Magazine? No, well, some have. Okay, we have. Um, our children are changed. When they go to university, they know more already about evolution than um, the evolutionists do because they've read Creation It's a, a family-oriented magazine, um, very colorful, comes out four times a year. And when it comes out, you also get the, a code. So it comes out as a booklet like this, has a children's section in the middle. You also get a code, so you can put it on five digital devices. So if you buy a subscription, you can keep it, you can put it on your laptop, you can put it on your wife's iPad, you can give it to your nephew to put it on his um, tablet or phone or something as well. You can share it around five, five different people, so you get five digital codes as well. So let's go on as they go around, and let's look next, please, and we'll get to Mr. Noah, if we can get to him.
again and again. Okay, now I've been in a church building where when I was setting up before the service I went out to the Sunday school rooms and they had a picture on the wall of a Noah's Ark like this. I nearly pulled my hair out and nearly cried actually. But I talked about, you know, we don't want to teach our children nonsense. We do want to teach our kids not, not to ask questions kind of to try to trip us up, but to God has given us an intellect and a thirst for knowledge. But we don't want to feed our kids with rubbish so they think that, that the Bible stories are, are just like fairy tales. They have to be able to distinguish them. There's no way that the animals could have survived in a, in a little boat like that. You see the giraffe sticking their head out the top. Um, it wouldn't have survived, it wasn't big enough for, all the, for every kind of animal, it wouldn't have survived in the flood, it had to be room for all the food, etc, etc. If we had Noah's Ark today, we use the word Ark, which we never use for any other kind of boat, we'd call it a barge would be our word for it. And I'm going to pass this around, there won't be time for it to get right around, but printed on the side of this model of the Ark to scale, are the animals that we know. Mr and Mrs Noah are here, there's some giraffes here, you'll be able to see them when they come around. The Noah's Ark was as high as a modern five-storey building. This is, you know, a one-storey building, so it's as high as a modern five-storey building. It's 140 metres long, that's about as long as, almost as long as three 50-metre swimming pools. Okay, so it was a huge wood had three decks in it, there was plenty of room for every kind of animal and there was room for hundreds or thousands of people as well, but only eight people went on, that was another story. Next please. So that boat, that, it didn't have a sail, we wouldn't call it a ship, it didn't have a rudder or anything as far as we know, all they had to do was stay in there, they had the food, stay in there for just over a year it turns out, and then come out and, um, and carry on life after the flood. Next please. So was there room for a couple of lions on a, on a huge barge like that? Of course there was. Next. A couple of elephants. Yes, of course. Next. Oh, let's get back to the, my friends here. We found fossils. Okay, As far as we know, these types of creatures are extinct. We found fossils. Okay, My dad said, oh, maybe they're just made up. I said, no, Dad, they're real. Uh, I, you know, we can go and see the bones uh, or replicas of the bones in the museums. We found a fossil of a dinosaur that could have put his head in a seven-storey window. He couldn't have fitted on the ark. So does the Bible start to not make sense? Oh, hold on a minute. Do we take grandma and granddad dinosaur onto the ark? Which dinosaurs would we take onto the ark? Young adults probably, ones that are about ready to procreate and, and replenish the earth after the flood. How big was a young adult dinosaur? Maybe the seven-storey one, maybe that was a grandpa dinosaur. Next, please. Again, this is historical. We don't know whether dinosaurs were warm-blooded or cold-blooded. We don't know if they all came from eggs, but we found dinosaur eggs, so our assumption is that dinosaurs came from eggs. The biggest eggs we found are roughly the size of a rugby ball. So to the best of our knowledge, even the huge dinosaurs at one point were a cute little reptile inside a rugby ball-sized egg. In other words, the young adults would have easily fitted on the ark, and you'll find some printed on the side there to scale. Next, please. So dinosaurs are pretty impressive animals. How come we don't see them mentioned in the Bible? Well, if we look at this chart here, 
we can see that the word dinosaur down here in the bottom left wasn't invented till the 1840s. And most of our English Bibles have some connection back to the King James Version, back to the 1600s. So the word dinosaur wasn't invented for more than 200 years after the King James Bible became very common in the English-speaking world. So the word dinosaur could not be in the King James Bible, and I'm ashamed to say as a Bible translator, it's also not in our modern versions, but that's for different reasons. Um, but we'll go to the next slide. What were dinosaurs called before they were called dinosaurs in the 1800s? They were called dragons. And anyone who loves the King James and has a King James concordance, or you can do it on, on the internet, you look up dragon in the King James, you'll find a number of references that are mentioned. And many of you will know the Leviathan and the Behemoth uh, near the end of the book of, the, book of Job. The Leviathan is a fire-breathing dragon. It's not the Disney dragon that, that has wings and flies. Uh, we don't believe that they flew. They were too heavy. There were pterosaurs or pterodactyls in that that flew. They were flying reptiles, but they were not dinosaurs. We don't believe in flying dinosaurs, but the Bible describes a fire-breathing dragon. I don't know if there's any farmers in the room, but farmers have been quite upset at successive governments that have tried to um, tax methane-burping animals. Some animals burp belch methane. Did you know that methane is a flammable gas? What if a, a dinosaur had some sort of thing on his head where he could store a little bit of methane instead of burping it every time and save up for one delicious big burp? And perhaps had a bit of flint or something in his teeth so he could make a spark. I mean, it's not beyond feasibility. No, the Bible describes dragons and dinosaurs. Next, please. So yes, I'm saying they lived at the same time as people. They went on the ark, they came off the ark, and they went extinct. I've got time just to sneak in one quick story. Let me tell you the story. I went to Israel a few years ago. and When I was in Israel, I didn't have to keep looking around behind me to see if there were lions or bears on the streets of Israel. Did you know that? Anyone else been to Israel? Were you scared of the lions and bears? No. Now, what's that got to do with dinosaurs? Okay. Let me tell you, you all know about a little shepherd boy that wanted to kill a giant. And the king said, no, you're too small. And he said, when I was looking after dad's sheep, a lion came and attacked the sheep. With God's help, I killed it. A bear came. With God's help, I killed it. How many lions and bears are roaming around Israel now? Zero. They've gone extinct. Okay? No lions and bears. What happened to the dinosaurs? Oh, now we don't know, but I do recall a story of St. George and the dragon, something like that, somewhere over in ancient Europe, that this dragon came and attacked animals, maybe attacked a child, and St. George and his friends got on their horses with their spears and went and killed the dragon. Anyone remember that sort of story? Maybe some have read the, the book about King Beowulf, another ancient European king whose hobby was, was killing dragons, that, you know, I've got an uncle who used to like to go to Africa and shoot elephants. But, but King Beowulf, he liked to go around and kill dragons. He, when he was 90, the book finishes, and when he was 90, he got killed by a dragon. So he ended his life doing what he was enjoying. So what, ha what probably happened to dinosaurs? Well, certainly the large ones were probably hunted to extinction like many other animals. Next, please. This here is picture of an engraving on a pillar in Cambodia in one of the temples of Angkor Wat. Some of you might have been there um, as tourists. Now on the 
um, pillar there, you can see that picture there blown up on the right. Can anybody tell me what it looks like? Looks like a stegosaur. This temple was built about a thousand years ago by, I always forget whether they were Buddhist or Hindu, but ancient monks built it roughly a thousand years ago. Now how do we know what a stegosaur looks like? Do you know how we know? A farmer is out on his farm, perhaps in America or China or somewhere, and he sees a bone, what looks like a bone, sticking. there's been a bit of a landslide, and sticking out of the, the rest of the cliff is a bit of bone. He calls the university, and they come, and they get their teams, and they dig out the whole cliff, and they take all these hunks of rock that have bone in them, they take them back to the university, and they get their things like diamond drills, and clean them all up, and get all the bones, get all rid of all the excess rock. They get a hole bigger than this, and they lay out all the rocks, and then they get another expert who knows where all the muscles attach and looks at the bones and say, yeah, these probably fit together like this. And they wire it together and stand it up. And that's how we know what a stegosaur probably looked like. We're not always certain, by the way, whether they could hold their heads up like that, whether they had their tails like that or like that, or you know, a lot of things we don't know for sure, but we get an idea. How did they know a thousand years ago? Did they have... Um, paleontologists that went and dug it out of the, the soil to work out what a stegosaur looked like. How did they know? Oh, could they have still been alive a thousand years ago? Perhaps. Uh, we don't know, but it certainly looks like it. Oh, by the way, do you know what an evolution has to say? An evolutionist has to say, this is a, is it a rhinoceros or a hippopotamus, I forget which, and it's standing in front of some, some ferns. That is the only, the best answer that an evolutionist can give. Also a possibility, but no, it does look a lot like a stegosaur. Next, please. We found red cells in, in dinosaur bones that are supposedly 65 plus million years old. We found remnants of red blood cells that they claim are 65 million years old, and now scientists are trying to work out how blood can last for 65 million years. They could have come to another conclusion, but anyway, that's them. Next, please. Okay, so the animals went on the ark, they came off the ark. Next again. Now, a great flood would have caused great churning of the soil and the rocks, and then as the flood settles down, the water settles horizontally and the sediments settle down into horizontal layers. There's a picture of Grand Canyon. Can you see horizontal layers of rocks? You can easily because a lot of them are different coloured. You don't have to go to Arizona or wherever to see that. You can go down any of our highways and look where they cut the road through a hill. And you look through the hill and you'll find layers of shell rock, horizontal layers of limestone, flood rock. This is flood rock, this uh, yellowish limestone. This one ha has a shell in it. A lot of it has shells in it. You don't find shell rock at the beach where you find modern shells. You find this in the hills, I'm told on... Uh, Mount Cook, you find it near the top. I'm told on Mount Everest, you find layers. And I went back to university and studied earth science, and they agree that all the layers in our rocks are formed by the oceans covering our islands. The only difference is they believe the islands went down under the ocean and came up again three times. And we believe that the, the Bible teaches that the, the sea rose and went over the islands and went down again. So either way, um, definitely, yes, next please. But how many millions of years did it take to form one of those layers? We're taught at school probably that it took millions of years for little layers of dust to form and it wasn't formed in a flood at all. But then in 1980, Mount St. Helens in the northwest of America erupted sideways out the side. See how that plume is not going up like a 
standard volcano, it's going out sideways. And it blasted a whole lot of forest because it went out sideways. They knew the eruption was imminent and so they cleared an area. But because it went sideways, it actually people out here got killed because um, they weren't expecting it to, to go like that. Next, please. But can you see all the layers and those two young fellows are looking at in front of them there? All those layers, I think, is about eight, a person's about two metres, is about eight metres of layers there. Do you know how many millions of years it took to form all those layers? Less than one day. At Mount St. Helens, as the ash and the dust and everything comes down and sorts itself in the air and settles out, less than one day. It's not hardened into rock yet, but the layers, eight metres formed in less than one day. Next, please. See that canyon there? That canyon, that solid rock on the left, solid rock on the right. That little stream in there, how many millions of years must it have taken to carve that canyon out of solid rock? Well, what happened when that mountain exploded, it, it, it blasted forest. The trees all tangle up and snow melts. Tangled trees melted snow. It formed a huge big dam. Or it formed a dam which formed a huge big lake. And then suddenly the lake bursts. And the water goes rushing down, hot water, hot muddy water with rocks and everything. And that canyon was carved, that's one fortieth of the size of Grand Canyon, that was carved in three days. Uh, yeah, three days took to carve that canyon. One fortieth the size of the Grand Canyon. We saw that happen in the 1980s. So how long did it take to form the Grand Canyon? I think that's my next slide, please. Um, it wasn't a little river. It was probably done by the floods coming off America. As the flood water falls, you know how huge America is, and, and some of the water gets dammed up, and then maybe the dam releases and it goes rushes and, and forms that canyon just maybe. If it took three days to form the one at Mount St. Helens, maybe it took a couple of weeks to form the Grand Canyon. It didn't have to take millions of years, and whenever we see it happen, it doesn't take millions of years. It happens very, very quickly. My last one, next please. The Big Bang. Just one more on the Big Bang. And this is something um, to remember. Next again. Do anybody know what a comet is? You've heard about comets? you heard about Halley's Comet was the one I heard about when I was a child. It's not so spectacular anymore. So let's say this is the sun, and this will be my comet. Okay, the comet goes way, it's a, it doesn't go in a circular orbit. It's an elliptical orbit, so it goes way out here somewhere in space, and then it comes in nearer the sun. And as it comes, and so the Earth's in here, as it comes nearer the sun, we're able to see it more clearly. Now, a comet is a dirty snowball. It's frozen gases, um, frozen water, frozen methane, other uh, gases. And it's got bits of dirt and dust and rock in it. So as a comet, as a frozen snowball, dirty snowball comes in near the sun, what happens to it? Warms up, melts, it leaves behind, glistening trail. That's why we like to look at them. We get our telescopes out. Anybody done it? Get our telescopes out, look at the glistening trail. What happens to a comet that goes off into the way yonder and comes back and leaves a glistening trail every time it comes past the sun? What must be happening to it? Must be getting smaller every time. Could it keep doing that for millions of years, losing all that, all that frozen material and all the... Um, contain material, the solids, in millions of years. No, that's why Halley's Comet's not so important anymore. It's not so spectacular anymore. Just in our lifetime, it's become way less spectacular. 
presumably it's got way less smaller. So comets tell us that the Big Bang, or those 14 million years, that those comets are not millions and millions of years old. They just cannot be. They could not have lasted that long. So again, just a, a thing to remember. When you see the comet, remember it's a creationist friend. Next, please. Oh, next again. I've sold out of those. <coughs> So this is our advice, fill your mind, and particularly your kids' minds, with good Bible-based materials. There's an awful lot of pressure, isn't there? Have you felt the pressure? You say, all scientists believe in evolution. No, they don't all believe in evolution. We've got many of them who, who write our articles that don't. All scientists believe the Big Bang. We know that the world is millions, billions of years old. We know that dinosaurs went extinct. No, we don't know any of that. It's all wrong. It's all come from people who've already decided in their minds there is no God. We need to fill our minds with good material so that we can help others to get rid of those stumbling blocks and answer their questions. So thank you for being very patient. I'll I'll say one more thing as Kelvin comes up. Um, I don't care if I don't get lunch. Okay, I'm here for you guys today. So out there at, in the lunch room, if you've got questions, we're not doing a question and answer time now. If you've got questions, don't feel too shy and go home and say, that was a silly question, I'm not going to ask it. Come and ask your questions, um, as well as hopefully looking at the materials. I'm here to help you if I can. God bless you all. Thank you. You thought dinosaurs were extinct. Well, I tell you now, you go and speak about these things that we believe out there in society and they'll call you a dinosaur. I've had the accusation come my way. You guys are just like dinosaurs. And so we need to stick up with what is the truth. And we either trust God's word in its fullness or we don't. We can't leave out any bits or tweak any bits. It's all of his word or nothing. And so that's what we hold to. And I'm sorry about my picture in the back. I actually got it. But I saw you had a dragon of wings, so I'm going to leave it there. Let's um, stand and um, we close our service. And we're going to sing about this great God of ours. All the earth rejoice. Your creator reigns as the only awesome God, the Alpha, the Omega, who was, is, and is to come. So let's stand as a response to what we've heard and give praise to our God.
Thank you. He will return again. The story hasn't finished. And to many, it sounds like just a story. Creation, rendition, this one is going to come in the heavens. We know it's reality. The story is not finished. It is continuing. He will return again as he said he would. Let's believe God at his word and go and tell the world what we believe. He will save. He has promised to do so. He will save those who come to him and put their faith in him. We need to believe that too. He will do it. He's chosen you and I, created beings, to go and tell about this whole story. And though they give you strange looks, we give them answers when they want answers because God has given us brains. We need to go and do our homework so that we can give answers to people. Let's go and be used by the Lord this week. Wanganui East Baptist Church. He's put us here for a purpose. The story continues. Thank you, Robert, for coming in and um, sharing that with us in a very condensed space. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank you that we are part of such a great story. And it's the story of reality. The reality of what you created and the reality of what you did in our lives through Jesus Christ and the reality that you will return one day.